2: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
3: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. <laughs> and welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. So was our third attempt. Well, it is an exciting day, so perhaps that's why making our mistakes because it is the final female first of 2019 ooh, of a decade. Ooh. Yes, which means we are once again joined by our good friend and co-worker, Eve. With
0: the Hello best sweatshirt there. ever.
4: Thank you. Loving yes. all of that. I didn't even think that this was the last one of the decade. I'm like, oh, this is the last one of the year, but no, it's a whole decade that's mm-hmm. ending right now. So right this very this minute. <laughs> <exact Right. moment. laughs> Yes. Um, Time compresses in my world really easily. Yes. Um, Yeah. I am grateful to be here as always. So
3: glad you're here. Yeah. It's a bit of a mess in the studio. Uh, 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 There's so much peanut butter. There's a lot of peanut butter, a lot of beverages, a lot of beverages. Um, but that I feel like that's kind of status quo, part of the course when you come.
4: Used. Well, this season is about abundance as well. It's true, season, <laughs> and we're collecting gifts, so the mm-hmm. more, the merrier. You're correct. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> do like crunchy peanut butter? Uh, see, I are you crunchy peanut her. butter is the thing. Is it? Is that going in somebody's uh, Christmas present? You know, that's, is that going to somebody? I could do this because through various sponsorships, I now have. No
3: exaggeration, a crate of peanut butter. Yes. So I mean, I guess if I want to be really lazy in my gift giving, I could just start handing out jars of peanut butter. I'm gonna give it to a food kitchen or oh, something. Oh, that would be smart. Yes. Yes, That's cool. Yes. yes. That's cool. Yes. yes. Um and we are very excited to have you, as always, Eves. Um it is this is our final final record. Of the year. Is it? Yes. Well, yeah.
4: congrats to y'all. Yes, people yes, have Y'all get to, to rest a little. Right. Maybe? Right. Yeah, I've had people stop
2: and be like, yeah, so we're recording this weekend. I was like, oh, no. Oh, oh no. Oh, no.
3: Yeah. It's, I guess there's two weeks left in the year as we record this. So yes. this is pretty good. I'm pretty happy about it. I think, I think it. we did well, yeah. Yes. And I'm also pretty excited to talk about
4: the person are yes. about today, Eves. I am too. I'm really excited to talk about Bun Zhao, who's, mm-hmm. who we're talking about today. Um, we're going way back in history for this one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost to the BCE years. Yes. Kind of dipping there for a little bit. Mm-hmm.
3: I'm always excited to go into the <laughs> BCEs, you know, yes. especially as we get into the 2020s. Let's look all the way back. Let's go all the way back. <laughs> yes. Yes. And she is known as... China's first female historian.
4: Yes, China's first female historian and a very influential scholar in general at the time, not Mm -hmm. just female scholar, but she was also one of like the only female scholars early on, the only female historians early on. Yeah, and I was reading some
3: of the stuff that she wrote and... It's fascinating, mm-hmm. isn't
4: it? Yes. Isn't it fascinating? Yes. Especially to look at it from my point of view as an American. Yeah. As an American woman living in 2020 right. or in 2019. I'm already ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, once the 20th century rolled around, people like viewed it a lot differently than they did during her time, which right. she was born in 45 CE. So. Early, early ideas <laughs> that yeah. many people had a lot of thoughts on over the years.
3: Yes, and as we always say on these these episodes, these female first context is always really important when we're talking about this. And, spoiler, not to confuse anybody, she wrote things about how basically how to be a woman mm-hmm. in China. And so it's just a, an amazing window into what it was like right. back then. And, yeah, now with our eyes— so different
4: (laughs) yeah Yeah. well where I mean I'm not a historian and I imagine a lot of people here aren't historians so it's a really interesting as a civilian non-historian to look at things that happened this long ago and in cultures outside of my own that I'm not typically studying and like developing my own perspective around that and learning a lot more about it It's so easy to get caught up in the way that we think today. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, once the 20th century rolled around, the views on her started getting a lot more complicated. Like, women started thinking a lot differently around that time. Women's lib movements popped up, and people who were in that realm saw her as an important scholar and figure in women's education before then, and then later on, others started thinking that she was perpetuating the oppression of women. Yeah, so it's a complicated history. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, on the other hand, and in conversations beyond just ones about history, that we can get in a space where we're like, okay, because this happened at this time or because this happened in this context, that means that we can excuse those things. Or like, this person was just a person of their time and this person was just doing the same thing that everybody else did. So that means it's excusable and it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. So... I just it's just always important. Obviously, always try to gain more knowledge about things because when right. we're more knowledgeable, then we're more able to have nuanced and deeper conversations about things. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as we know, the world changes a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the world right. changes a lot, and the world is also, at one specific time, very different everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just think having this conversation about her after we featured a lot of women who are kind of without much doubt or without much hesitation or without much, like, discrepancy or controversy, like, this Mm -hmm. person did good things and contributed to feminist history in a positive, moralistically positive way, like, that's not how it always was. And we had to evolve to be able to get to where we are today. Exactly. And it took a long time before things changed from how it was in Bun Jow's time. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. It was literally
2: over <laughs> 1,900 years ago.
4: Yeah. And then
2: also in context, that culture has so much history. Even yes. then, in comparison to, again, when we talked about the U.S., it's <sighs> so young and, and like, yeah. that's not relevant right. to where we are, to what we know of the history of the land today because it's... Back in that point in time, this land, when we talk about America, was a completely different existence.
4: Yeah, the it's, population itself. Right, <laughs> and then China, China's history just—they recorded so much. Right, yeah. there's so much recorded history in China. Let's get into. <laughs> bon Here we go. Zio. Okay, let's get into bon Zhao. So she was born in the town of Anling, Fufeng, China, and that was around the year of 45 CE, and that place was around Shenyang in Shanxi province. That was during the Eastern Han, which was also known as the later Han dynasty. Mm -hmm. And so one of her ancestors made a bunch of money raising livestock after the fall of the Zhao dynasty. And eventually they got money and the family got into scholarship as well. So scholarship is a huge part of her family's history, mm-hmm. a part of her elitism, how they got there, because a lot of the time people valued scholarship. So someone in her lineage whose story had a big influence on her was her great-aunt Ban Ji-yi, and that was her court title. Her personal name is not recorded, but in brief, Ban Ji-yi was a consort of Emperor Chung, and she was close to him. So there's a story in her life that they say like is one of the things that made her kind of a big name and that she once turned down riding in his sedan chair with him when he asked So because that was against norms, she kind of like, she was like, no, I don't want to do it. So that earned her favor as a respected woman of high moral values and wisdom. The fact that she said no to it, even though it was kind of like this flashy thing that she could do. Mm -hmm. That said, her decision could have been more practical than it was moralistic, as she could have just been trying to avoid revenge plots of the envious people around her. Oh, revenge plots. You know, Survival is important. Yeah, <laughs> I People would agree. Shady. People are shady. <laughs> uh, either way, that idea of womanly humility would show up in Bun Jiao's work later. And so Bun Biao was Bun Jiao's father. And he was a scholar and an administrator. He was really into Confucianism, which we'll come back to a little bit later. We'll talk a little bit about what that was. And he stuck to the moral classics. He went through several official positions in the Han Dynasty, But he wasn't so hot on those, so he kind of skipped around from one to the next, and he favored scholarship. So he wasn't able to maintain his family's wealth, though I can say I have no idea what it feels like to be an elite, but I can identify with that a lot because I I just feel like I'm a person who's like, I don't care how much money—well, I'm a writer, right? So I mean, that's like, I don't care how much money I make. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna do the art thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though scholarship is very different. But yeah, he died when Bun Zhao was young. She had two older twin brothers who were Bun Chao and Bun Gu, and Bun Chao drew a lot of inspiration from them too. Chao was in the military in Central Asia for over 30 years, and Gu was an avid reader and a scholar who wrote poems. Uh, and researched history following in his father's footsteps. So she wrote poems too later, so she got some inspiration from him. So she had her style name, Bun Zhao's style name was Hui Bun, and her given name was Ji. And she had this love for reading. So as we know, that's something that's really big in her upbringing and in her history. She, Her parents made sure that she was really well-educated. So she was taught Confucianism, which is a system of, Social and ethical philosophy that originated in China, and it really stressed the importance of correct behavior and loyalty and obedience to hierarchy. and Obviously, I want to say that i'm I'm really reducing this. like it's a right. lot more yeah. to it. We don't have time for that clearly, and i'm nor am I a Confucianism expert. It also stressed humaneness and social harmony. So while it was a lot about social rituals and conformity kind of on the surface, it was also about building conscience and character over a lifetime. Wen Zhao was also taught Taoism, which was a Chinese philosophy that was born from observing the natural world, and it really emphasized being in step or in line or in tune with the Tao or the natural order of the universe. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily about strict rituals like Confucianism was, but she was she was educated. She was Her parents made sure that they gave her, you know, a good education growing up. Mm-hmm. And she learned to write. She learned about history. Like I said earlier, she learned about poetry and the classics. And though she wrote a lot of poetry, few of her poems still exist, though you can read some of them. She wrote court poetry a lot. And a lot of it got into metaphysical stuff later on as people were gearing their poetry toward that, others who were writing poetry. Mm-hmm she was often also called to court to teach women in the palace. And she taught them poetry, history, and literature. And she was also given access to the Imperial Library, which was something that not everybody got, but Mm -hmm. a lot of important works in there, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was important, as I said earlier, she did court poetry because it was important to mark things that happened in court life with poetry. And the emperor was a fan of her work. And so she wrote some. And Bun Zhao also advised Empress Dowager ju dun on affairs of state, though much of the advice she gave is unknown because it wasn't recorded. It was happening yeah. in private. And she got married around the age of 14, but not much is known about her husband, whose name was Chao Shishu. And it's known that he came from the same district as the Bun family, which was often the case for people in Gentry. They had several children together, But her husband died early on in the marriage. She didn't get remarried, which is something that comes up in her writing, um, which we'll get to later, that she had on all those moral prescriptions, which we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier, which Uh is going to be the major chunk of this, um, for obvious reasons. (laughs) Very, very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure y'all will have thoughts on the things in Mm -hmm. that. Um, Even though it was not against custom for women to get remarried, they often did after their spouse died— But, you know, this could have been due to her—her not getting remarried could have been due to her strict code of ethics Mm -hmm. because she may have done so to remain loyal to her deceased husband. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we get into her writing work and her history and her history research. Her father started working on history of the former Han, Mm -hmm. this big text, uh, history on the former Han dynasty. And so, the former Han Dynasty was the first 200 years of the Han Dynasty when Chang'an was the capital of the empire. And her brother, Ban Gu, continued work on the history after her father died. And Ban Gu also died while working on it. And from that point, Ban Zhao took over the task. And she wrote some of the last parts of it and did some of the final editing, even though her exact extent of contribution to the work has been debated by some scholars. Some have said that she given her the credit of co-authoring it, saying she was the one who did so much work because she did all these chronological tables toward the end. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. And in the larger <laughs> context of this conversation, she put in work on the book. so she did. She, it, she was integral in creating the book and getting it out to people. Mm-hmm. So the completed book was released around one eleven c e. This book was very complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. There were a lot of moving parts to it, and right. it wasn't so easy for everybody to understand. So that meant that the book had to be taught to people, or right. people had to be guided along in the process of trying to understand it. Um, and Ban even taught the scholar Zhang the book, hmm. since it was so complex and it required that guidance to understand it. Mm-hmm. So it's been considered by some historians the second most important or most famous of China's formal dynastic histories. Well, the second. There was this guy, I can't remember his name, like <laughs> CM Chen, who wrote other imperial d- dynasties, right, right, right. books on dynasties before that. Mm-hmm. But under the Han Emperor Wu, Confucianism became accepted as state ideology and orthodoxy. So from that point, the imperial state used that philosophy as a means to maintain law and order and to maintain the status quo. So, our favorite part. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Admonitions for Women, a.k.a. Lessons for Women, and I'm going to try to pronounce this. Nyo Yes. is <laughs> good. good <laughs> it works. A book um, on female propriety uh-huh.
3: that she wrote. Yeah. And
4: I, I call it a book, but it's only really several pages long, so it's yeah. more of the same. It's really not long at all. Mm-mm. But so. a lot is communicated in it. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. You can say a lot in so many words. Uh, yes you can.
3: <laughs> yes, you can. Um It kinda reminds me of did you did you all do that thing when you were growing up where you had to watch that video and it like taught you posture, you had to put the book on top of your head. No. How to be a woman, essentially. Like I, how to set yeah. a table.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never I never I never watched that video, but I did go to etiquette school when I was, when I was in oh, middle did school. You? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, it wasn't terrible. I don't know why I feel like I've brought this up with y'all before, but maybe not. It wasn't, um, I actually had a really fun time in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you still remember the lessons? No. Well, <laughs> I remember one. Okay. So one was, some were very problematic, but mm. so one was where to put the forks on the table. Yes. Yep. That was one. Uh-huh. And that's the extent of what I remember. So it was kind of like a, Cotillion type of level of
2: stuff. Like eventually you go and graduate to become a debutante. Is that what you're talking about? Not
3: me. Not the My, one that I did. Yeah. It's similar to that, but okay. it, the one I did was much more like here's this video on how to be a lady and hmm. it involved posture and you yeah, saw this setting at a table. Yeah.
4: Really? Wow. It was something that I did. I actually really appreciated the camaraderie that I like made mm. with the other girls who were there at the time. That's right. what I really liked about it because I wasn't expecting it. I did not want to go when I did it. My mom just put me in it. And I, I didn't have bad mam- manners, so I'm trying to figure out why she put me in it. I don't remember. But um, I remember Chili from TLC— being there for whatever what? reason. <laughs> she came and visited us to talk to us about girl things, I guess. I don't I don't know what girl things are, and I don't know what she— I don't remember what she said, but <laughs> I remember her being there. So, I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt how you feel like it's made— what kind of person you feel like it's made me, because— mm-hmm. it, All I mean, the pieces are ma- fitting together now. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you have
2: me baffled, so
4: yeah. Go.
3: Whether well, I'm a lady now or not, I don't know. I can't wait until you hear— uh, Von Zhao's yes. thoughts on uh, vulgarity yes. and language, Samantha, yeah. mm-hmm. because ready, I don't know that you'd qualify in her I book. I don't think
0: a lady. <laughs>
4: no. <laughs> Not many people have ever called me a lady, so let's keep going. <laughs> so we're going to stay on this text for a while because it is her magnum opus. Uh, there were previous works on morality for boys and men, but Lessons for Women was specifically aimed to girls and women since at the time Men and women's nature were thought to be fundamentally different from one another, right, and because of that, so would their ethics be different from one another. Mm-hmm. So the exact date it's written is unknown, though she's believed to have begun writing it around one o six and Bunjaw said in the intro to the text that she wrote it to prepare her daughters for marriage, but the fact that it was widely circulated says otherwise. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> When So some context for this, which is always important. Mm -hmm. When a woman got married, she left her family and then went to live with her husband and in-laws. And Chinese families typically had several wives and concubines and many children. And in Bun Zhao's text, the advice was for women to subjugate themselves to the men. So the husband, the brothers, the brothers-in-law, father, father father-in-law, etc. And lessons for women codified those rules of behavior. So before this point, there wasn't a ton of instruction regarding the duties and the virtues of women. But Bunjiao Zhao approached that subject through a lens of Confucianism. It's also important to remember that it was a time of a lot of transition and reform in China's history. Mm-hmm. So there was the old feudal system, which sometimes afforded Chinese women the opportunity to move up, sometimes afforded them the opportunity to Rule and powerful political positions. Um, mm-hmm. That was replaced with the imperial system. And Confucianism at this time was central to the Han court. And because of this, women's role was considered inferior to men's. Mm-hmm. So that said, there was social mobility in the culture and there was an emphasis on education and scholarship that did not change. And because times were so turbulent, you know, politically, every socially, everything that was happening at the time,
3: mm-hmm.
4: it was important to support this kind of Confucian lifestyle, which provided a sort of political order and social stability. As the government was doing declining, and everything could be chaotic, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> there were there was a way that gentry families used that Confucianism to say, "Hey, look." everything's orderly for me and separate themselves from everywhere else by adhering to that those strict guidelines of those rituals. So that's a little bit of context for right. Lessons for Women. Gotcha. Yeah. We have some more
3: with our conversation with Eve, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
4: There are seven sections in the text. And like we said earlier, it's about like a page per section. Like it's very short. hmm The first three are called servile and Meek, Husband and Wife, Respectful and Cautious, Giving Leeway for Translations. And they reinforce the importance of women taking a subservient role. And the next two are Wifely Behaviors and Wholehearted Devotion. And they're about how wives should behave. hmm the last two are absolute obedience, specifically as a daughter-in-law, and harmony with younger sisters-in-law. And the gist of those are, as they say. <laughs> Annie's smiling. She's like, I feel like you got a lot going on in your head right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to read an excerpt from these. Please. Um, <laughs> Please do. Just so we get a sense of what she was talking about in these. Mm-hmm. A woman ought to have four qualifications, womanly virtue, womanly words, womanly bearing, and womanly work. Now what is called womanly virtue need not be brilliant ability exceptionally different from others. Womanly words need be neither clever in debate nor keen in conversation. Womanly appearance requires neither a pretty nor a perfect face and form. Womanly work need not be work done more skillfully than that of others. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot. Um, more that's that's kind of like a, a, a summary, a taste yeah. of the things mm-hmm. that she says in there because she gets into a lot more specificity. Mm-hmm. Yes, she does. <laughs> that the section that's on womanly qualifications goes on to say that a woman has to guard her chastity, she has to speak at appropriate times, and not to love gossip and silly laughter. <laughs> According to the text, these qualities are really easy to have. If you just desire them deeply enough. Oh, yeah, and you She's need to leave
2: them. now. Your silly giggles. Are too much.
4: Well, we haven't even talked
3: about the vulgarity. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ignoring that part. (laughs) Yeah, it's really... Just to have it written out like this is how you be a good woman. And essentially it is you be quiet. Mm -hmm. And I love don't speak too keenly. Like, don't be too educated. Mm -hmm. Just... And she was
2: one of the more educated mm-hmm. women of yeah. the time. So that is interesting.
4: Yeah. She said, you don't have to be educated. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be that type of person to be humble, basically. And mm-hmm. that's the key. As long as you're humble. Yes. Then you're good.
3: Yes. <laughs> humble equals
4: I mean, there are a lot of woman. people today who could use more humility. This it's is true. all true. It's Nothing true. wrong with being and humble. And to be
2: fair, even though this was way back when... I've heard this in different formats in the Christian world. Yeah, as I grew up in it. Once again, not bashing religion in any way, but this is actually fairly not so shocking. Mm-hmm. And it makes to me this makes more sense because of the time frame. Is it great? No. Is it still like oh God, why? Mm-hmm. For sure. But I've not. It wasn't more than five years ago that I've seen this in like Christian texts as this is who you are as a woman. Be a right. Be a subservient, kind woman. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, to put it in terms of morality, like this makes you good to be good, right? To be a good person, you have to be less than you have to be subservient to right. men. It is sort of shocking in that it isn't that far off from yeah. Right. Like when I think about some lessons, some things I might have picked up from my etiquette class, right? Or they're teaching, I think at fourteen. Um that to be a good woman, I have to sit quietly right essentially <laughs> and know right. how to serve people at, at a table right and that that makes me good and to host a party appropriately. yeah yeah, and I can imagine, as you say during this time, there's a lot of transition and chaos and having something this reminds me of when the first Cookbooks came out and women just loved them because it was it was a resource in a way that they felt they could control things in their life. And I can imagine that women at this time were like, aha, here's how to be a good woman. Right. And maybe I can like move up or get a better situation than I have now.
4: Right. And like like you said earlier, she was a woman of she had edu- you know, she had right. privilege. Yeah. So right. her experience is a lot different than people who weren't in her situation when it comes to I need this order in my life. Well, some people are worried about a little bit more basic survival needs. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is that as well to think about. So I want to point out some more of the things that she said in the text. She said, Women must always think of themselves last. Widows should never remarry, as we spoke about earlier. Women must be clean and neat. And reading and education are as important for women as they are for men. Though later Confucian scholars would reject this notion, and women's education went through a lot in China after mm-hmm. after Banjo died, and all that, all that said, in lessons for women, a wife wasn't just a husband's servant, like that's not the only thing her role was. Spouses shouldn't use harsh language is one thing she said in the text, and that they shouldn't resort to domestic violence either and that women don't have to be super talented and like we said earlier and intelligent but must be humble, chaste and diligent and obedient. Mhm.
3: And that they, I thought that was interesting about the face. Uh, it could be you <laughs> didn't have to be beautiful. Yeah. It just had to be, you know, <laughs> pretty much quiet is the thing just I'm picking quiet. up on. <laughs> There's a lot of
2: middle lines. You don't have to be or and either or, but be
3: this instead. Yeah. 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 Just overall be cool about it. Right. I'm not going to
2: lie. When you were talking and, and we're talking about the qualities and such, it kind of pushed me back to the Mulan reference at the beginning of the Disney movie in which that she's reciting oh, all yeah. of the things and trying to find a husband. And, she, you know, I'm like, wait, huh? yeah. that, that which makes sense because it would have been kind of in that time frame, kind of, um, in that lesson of trying to come up in society and bring in honor and all of such is to marry into, yeah, which is actually everywhere, like. For the longest time, marry, you, as a wife, your privilege is to bring in the best, whatever, merging of the families.
3: Mm-hmm. My privilege, yes. Yes. <laughs> your duties as the daughter. <laughs> to be a good person, I must do this. But anyway, that was just a moment. I was like, oh,
2: Sounds like the beginning of the plot of Mulan. Yeah. And
3: then she rebelled. Yes. Well. Good for her. Yeah, I mean, all of her cheat notes. Right. That's what of I of remember. Yeah. Be do this and be that. And I was like, I can't remember that scene really well, so I don't know
2: what exactly she said. But I know it's in that reference.
3: Yeah, there's uh, there's also a section in there that I liked about um, washing and scrubbing filth right. away. <laughs> and, uh, that was a good one. Yeah. Bathe the body regularly and keep the person free from disgraceful filth. And this may be called characteris- characteristics of womanly bearing. Mm-hmm.
4: I'm trying to figure out what I mean, it sounds like good advice for anybody, right?
3: Sure, right? That might be just a health. (laughs) Yeah, it might just be a health perspective.
2: Yeah. Get that lice off of you. It's going to make life better. I promise. And I may have missed this at the beginning when I was trying to keep up because there was a lot of things happening. What was this in reference to? Why was she writing these? So she said that she was writing it in preparation for her daughters to be married. Right. So that was the only—were they having a hard time finding husbands, or was this such a big deal for the women that you must do
4: this in order to continue the family line? Well, that kind of—it kind of goes back to the order um, okay. thing, but we'll talk about another reason that historians think that she wrote this or what yeah. she was trying to provide with it in a, in a little bit. But just in general, like, generally, right. Confucianism was the way of the court. Right. So that was in line with people's thinking, this is what men should do and this is what women should do. But obviously, she was the first person to lay this out like this. So it's kind of like, oh, she probably had a reason for it, which we'll get to in a second. Oh, okay. Um, No spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: always jumping ahead.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So this is a work that made her a well-known author. Mm -hmm. But it caused a lot of debate, as you could imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's within the historical record. Like, over the years, these historians are like, Ooh, look at this. Chinese gender studies and ooh, feminist history. We're feminist now. Like, right. you know, so they're going back and finding mm-hmm. her work and mm-hmm. thinking about it a lot more. You know, first Westerners didn't get into it until much later, but this is a work that kind of blew up her name and caused all this talk about it at the time. It earned her a lot of acclaim as a wise and a moral woman. But later, particularly toward the end of the Qing dynasty, which was the last imperial dynasty in China, and that lasted till about 1911. People began to question her values about how the book or the text stripped women of their autonomy. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people like that, like later mm-hmm. on. This was repressive, this held women to outdated and regressive standards, all those things. But then there were also people who thought the text should be placed within the context of all norms of proper behavior. So women and girls weren't the only ones who were held to certain standards of behavior. Boys and men also were. Mm-hmm. So to them, Bun Jiao was just another person who was perpetuating and recording those norms. And then a lot, way more interpretations, you know, that you can get into of the text, but there. are was a change to critics thinking and viewing it as a more pragmatic strategy to answer your question, Samantha, Mm -hmm. that may have helped women thrive at the time. Right. Because it was such a patriarchal environment. And following those strict rules could provide women who were getting married and leaving their families and going to this environment and this house that they didn't know, like you're having to... That's a big experience, even for people today. Like leaving their homes yeah. and going to a different one, that's a big life experience and a life change. And you never know how these people might be. They may be envious people. Yeah. They may be vengeful. They right. may be. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of dynamics going on back at this time. Oh yeah. You know. <laughs> right. Um, so leaving that environment and stepping into it. So this. Text could be a strategy for survival. Like, right. once a woman won everyone's approval through following these strict guidelines and all these ingratiating rules, she could then gain prestige and power. And as a means of avoiding conflict and surviving that new life of hers, which who knows how it's going to be, this text could be a practical manual for that. Yeah. So, regardless of all of those different thoughts that critics had on the text over the years, it did have an impact on traditional views of how women should behave. Um, There were elite men who praised her for what she was saying in the work, and also there is a... It's clear that later works that came on female ethics can be traced back to lessons for women, so it inspired later works. That said, some scholars do suggest that her work didn't have a ton ton of influence on women's education and family relations in her dynasty and in later ones, and so there can be an i like idea that her influence has been overrated. Mm-hmm. It's honestly very like the interpretations of her work go very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about did you do you have any feelings on the the various interpretations over the years i It is hard
3: to, when things are that far removed, sometimes I find myself feeling like it's just hard to imagine it really happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I was reading some criticism, especially when the Western world kind of learned about this and people were writing, like, look at how she helped maintain the oppression of women, and people called her, like, Trader Bond or Trader Jowl. Um And it, I, I guess I get sort of torn And we have come so far. <laughs> and it's hard with history and historical, the way we interpret things, especially written records. Some things don't mean the same thing that they did then. And I'm always like, well, what, is there missing meaning here? What else was going on? Right. There's so much of the picture we don't have. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of funny to me to see all of this really in-depth criticism of her work, which there should be. Right. But at the same time, there's just so much we don't know right. about it. And uh, that doesn't mean it's not worth having the conversation. But it is funny. to Some people get really angry about it. <laughs>
4: yeah it's like so a lot is. of infighting yes there is i didn't know the historian world was so no actually i did yeah, <laughs> yeah I was I was historian <laughs> words, i'm not gonna act like i'm that
2: naive right <laughs> history is very though. controversial history and context is very important as to what is relevant and what isn't relevant mm-hmm. and again what was occurring at that time kind of like the same idea with the old testament ideas that is still being mm. used as a right forefront of this is what should be happening you're like you're taking this all out of context. You've got to remember where this is coming from. And again, like we were saying, you were saying, what if this is a health benefit? What what if this was a survival guide more so than this is how it should be because we've got to honor these men or honor whatever, honor religion. And Confucianism was very much about what you were talking about, just kind of finding peace Mm -hmm. and a balance in things. And at this point in time, at this time in this context where she got brought up because of her family and because of the male members of her family, What did that look like? She got married really young, correct? Mm -hmm. And then he died off, and no one really knew what was going on. And then the debate of, okay, does she disrespect? How does the marriage come about for her or remarriage? And and she had children at that young of an age, too. So that's a lot of...
4: Yeah, and now that you mention it, it's like that wasn't... It was typical for girls. Right to be married. Mm -hmm. Like she was a girl when she was married. So imagine being at that stage just as a human being in your life and all these different things and changes happening to you. And on top of that, going through the whole really rigid marriage process that required so much of you. Right. And then you're having all these people ask more of you and have all these expectations placed on you. And I'm still 14 and I'm still 16 and I'm still 17, you know? And then you're taught, because think about, for me, when I look at myself at
2: 16, 17, 18, 19, 20,
3: yeah. I'm
2: embarrassed about some of my values at that point in time, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I'm sure. like, oh, my gosh. I was reiterating the ignorance that I had thought were true at one point in time. And therefore, because I, if you look back on some of my journals, they're super embarrassing oh, yeah. about what I thought was uh, perfection and the goal right. of life and all of that. And I couldn't imagine that being taken as... This is the holy context yeah. of what you should be, you Well,
4: know? it's so helpful when you're young to have somebody telling you what you should do. Right, yeah. And then later on, you take that and say, oh, they gave me this, and now I can continue to delve into these ideas and see what works for me. It's kind of like the typical... Five sentence paragraph that they used to give you, or the f- the five paragraph right. essay that they used to give right. you. They yeah, would say, yeah, yeah. "This is your le- your topic sentence, and then this is your uh, yeah thesis. body, right? And right, then right. In these ones you explain the three points you're going to say the next mm-hmm. three paragraphs, and then you have a conclusion sentence, right? Exactly. And like when you're young, it's like, oh, look at my look at my essay. I just did that. Yeah. I just did right. those five paragraphs. I did everything the teacher said, and I get these checks. I did this right. I did this right. I did this right. Got a hundred on the paper, and right. then you take that paper to your college later, and they're like, mm, "This is so stilted. This yeah. is so rigid. <laughs> formulaic, you gotta, this yeah. formulaic. What is this? Like everybody told me this was right like three yeah, years right. ago. Yeah, and like that's what it's like to have a gu- guidelines like right. that. Like if you think about it in that mm-hmm. way, where these girls were girls when they were getting getting married exactly. and having to deal yeah. with all the things that have to do with maturity and uh, maturity and sex and relationships and, all, like, all the rules right. and all the, like, yeah. pra- social practices that were very ingrained mm-hmm. in the culture. Right.
2: And I just think about also, especially, and even today, the idea of maintaining a reputation for her to go and be placed that, okay, you're this person's family member. We're going to make you finish this. Because, you know, you have some education, I'm going to give you this, and I like what you're saying, so finish my historical reference here. Mm-hmm. That's been started by your father, your brother, now you. And so to have maintained that level of respect, what does that look like mm-hmm. in the eyes of whomever? So it's kind of like when you hear, <laughs> and this is very, very obviously a broad generalization and broad comparison, when women are like, or girls, are, I'm a girl, I'm a guy's girl, I don't really like girls, because and you, and a lot, majority of these girls think that's how you get in with guys or being mm-hmm. liked by, you know, dismissing or being um, negative about others, putting them down so you don't look like that, whatever you're afraid of becoming. Mm-hmm. You know, Could you? I couldn't imagine in that historical context of you have this reputation already because of your family, you're supposed to maintain this, and how do you keep going with that?
4: Mm, it's a lot of, right. it's a burden. It's a lot of responsibility. Right. Yeah. Does it
2: excuse those things? No. Would I think these things are great? No. Would I have been burned at the stake by her standards? Yes. <laughs>
4: yes, I would.
2: But yeah, you, got, you have to come back. And this was over 1,900 years ago. This is in a very weird time frame because you had those dynasties and that doesn't exist anymore. And you kind of just know the historical romancing context of what it was back then and what you imagine had happened then. To now, it's kind of like, huh, I mm. wonder. You take those words, what does that look like then, today? What was that comparison? What was her life really like? Right. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, and I also think that for me, I can read all I want to about these times. I can't embody it. Like I have no idea what it's like to live in that time. I can't fathom it. It's like trying to figure out what a billion like light years is like. Mm -hmm. I can't fathom it. So
3: yeah, we do have a little bit more for you, but first we have one more quick break for word from our sponsor.
0: To start planning your trip, visit Tnvacation.com.
2: Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: And we're back. Thank you, Sponge. She lived to her 70s. Wow. So she was pretty old. It was around 120 CE, 116 around that time. Mm-hmm. And Empress Dowager Dunn reportedly mourned her death. They said they she did that for her, so that would have meant that. Bun Jiao was an important person in the Empress Dowager's life. Hmm. And like I said about her poetry, you can read a lot of her literary works and you can read Lessons for Women and all of the scholarly debate that's happened (laughs) over the issues of gender in her work and just delve into that beyond this description because there's only so much we can get into. But the point is, like, historians return to her work over time to view it through a lens of gender as society was transforming a lot and right. as people were developing different views on women's roles.
3: Yeah. It is fascinating to see something like being a woman quantified almost like and it, it it's such a good snapshot. It makes me wonder if we wrote now like if if we t- almost kind of satirically wrote these are the things society expects mm. you to be a good woman, you uh-huh. are these things. And then 2,000 years from now, if somebody read it, it just doesn't make any sense.
4: Mm-hmm. I actually love that idea. This like a, uh, I can't think of the word, uh, just some, kind, some sort, it's kind of like historical fiction, like historical reimagining, yeah. but yeah. with mm-hmm. a current commentary on it. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. Let's try it out. We should. That would be cool. Yeah, it's nice. a new decade. It's
2: We're doing time. things.
3: It's time. <laughs> what could have this been? <laughs> we'll never know. It was speculation perhaps. But all day. Yeah.
2: But yeah, but that's she's got a deep history in being that important in in that culture and being a historian and, and someone who was brought on even, that's mm-hmm. intimidating. Yeah
3: as are most of the women we talk about. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Doesn't she have a, a crater? That's right. I knew she it. She does have a crater. She has that. a crater on Venus named after her, and that's how you know you've made it. Don't you want to have a crater yes, named after you at some Wait, point? what? How does that I even do. happen?
4: It, people who discover it are like, let's name it after her. And nobody knows unless you look up that person and like, oh, a crater <laughs> was named after them. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I I want it, though. Okay. You want a crater named after (laughs) you, is that what you're
3: saying? Yes, if anyone listening has that power, So if I just, like, created one on the
4: earth and said this is for... Oh, my gosh. Annie? We could probably... If we raise enough money, we could probably get it done, honestly, Annie. Thank
3: you. You know what I learned last night? (laughs) How to name a crater? No. So my dad named me after... my his mom, but also Mickey Rooney. That's why I spelled my name with an E-Y. Oh. I thought Mickey Rooney was a baseball player. And I learned last night he's an actor. <laughs> I, my whole life I thought I was named
2: after a baseball It took you to player. last you learn night. <laughs> every day. Have you never <laughs> heard the stories of Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney? No.
4: <laughs> I feel like we all have stories like that, though. We just realized something after... Mm, However, many years of living. I think I did say that. I
2: think I I said something recently, like yesterday, we were recording something else.
3: I never knew that. Yeah. See? I never knew that. But this is my namesake. I've been telling people my entire life I was named after a baseball player. Nikki Rooney didn't (laughs) die
2: until recently. Like, it was a.
3: (gasps) I don't know. My point being (laughs) if if you name a crater after me, at least I'll know where the name comes from now. (laughs) Like,.
2: Like he he was yeah he died in
3: 2014 like I don't need the judgment <laughs> I don't need the judgment. I got it last night because I found this out at a party. Oh,
4: wow. Uh,
3: And everybody had, like, you didn't know. They just kept going and going and going. Then I got all the texts this morning, like, remember when you didn't know who Mickey Rooney was? Like, (laughs) oh, my God, okay. I'm
4: trying to think Uh, of anything like that's ever happened to me so we can commiserate in our mis- I'm I'm trying to think of it, too, (laughs) because- Thank you. I
2: appreciate um, that. But, you know, I told you I love old movies, and- I. I loved Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland films because that was before Judy Garland... Well, that was during the midst of them abusing Judy Garland and started her uh, drug addiction. And he was a part of that too because they would feed both of them uh, different drugs to keep them awake, to put them to sleep. And then that kind of just... Because they were making a lot of money for the studio. So they were... Yeah. And Judy Garland's whole story is so dramatic. He was a part of that. Not as in like he was mean or anything, but he was a part of that trope of, okay, you weren't about mini stars. Right. This is what we're going to do. Okay, we've gone really, really off topic. Yeah, we
3: have. Uh, I'll, I'll, now I've got to look him up and see if there's... Well, anyway, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> Any other final thoughts
4: on <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I think that works for me. Whatever <laughs> works for y'all works for y'all. <laughs> <me> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <own> uh,
2: <laughs> I love that history. I also love that it's not, it's, it's not just set in easy tones, like there are so many complications and so many debates, and because that's absolutely reflective of that time and generation, and we've got to acknowledge for what it is Mm -hmm. and also acknowledge the historical context, and I think it's very important because again... One of the things we talk about, and we're going to talk about forever, obviously, but even when politics and such, when there's like that back and forth, like, yeah, he did this, but they did this as well. Right. It's kind of that same level of she yeah. did some amazing things. She was recognized for these amazing things, but then she did this, but she became problematic. Yeah. So how do you, especially in this culture of when, when it's one-sided, it seems like you're, you're either this or that, and mm-hmm. you can't be both. I think it's very good to keep looking at that as, as relevant in what we're talking about today and how things are changing
4: today. When I also think two things that one often when we look back at stuff like this we say oh it's so horrible but like that's right. not always the case like it's too easy to judge it, it's they were living fine lives within these confines exactly. yeah. still right and just because it isn't the type of freedom and movement that we're able to have today doesn't mean that it was horrible and two that it is encouraging to see how long things can take? Right. Like we often think, oh, this is never going to change, and we have to do and thinking bureaucratically, like specifically staying in the U.S., it's going to take forever for this legislation to happen, right. and this is never going to happen because there, there's this is too partisan, and like right. we think all that, all those things, which are important parts of the conversation, obviously matter in terms of things actually happening. But if we can be so humble to think Can't beyond we? our own lifetimes, that we can imagine. Change and continue to have hope.
3: Excellently put, Eves. <laughs> Excellently. Happy freaking new year. That's right.
4: Happy new year, everyone. Happy, Happy new, year. new year.
3: Where can the listeners find you, Eves?
4: So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at this day in history class. Just look up that podcast, which is another one that I'm on. It's a daily history podcast. And you can find me on all those things. Look up Unpopular. It's a podcast about people in history who challenged the status quo. Yeah, boom. And were persecuted for it in some way. And what lessons we can learn to be able to link those to today's world. And find me elsewhere, too. <laughs> My name's Eve's Jeffcoat. Uh, Y-V-E-S. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. Jeffcoat. Not named after Mickey Rooney. Not named after Mickey Rooney, named after Eve St. Laurent. I and say, I was thinking about when you said that, maybe I'll find out that I wasn't one day. Oh, so my going So I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to check in on the history yeah. again just to see. <laughs> yeah,
3: you should do a double check because do that double really, check. really threw me I think for that early. peanut
4: butter is partly hers. Wasn't it also
3: adjusted to, to date, this day in history class? It was, but I've already offered her the peanut butter. Okay. Um, oh, okay. She did it.
1: <laughs> yes. She's Don't, rat me me Don't rat me Take out.
3: Don't rat me out. Take socks. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure as always, Eves. Thank you so much. If you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told you. Thanks as always to, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Hey. Thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can listen to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking.